Right now covering the world of Major League Baseball, our good friend Scott Miller. Find him on Twitter at Scott Miller BBL. Scott, my friend, how are you, partner? How's life? How are things? Good, Anthony. How are you, my friend? I am, I'm always doing well. Come on. It's always great to talk to you, too. I was so happy when Brett told me, Scott Miller tested. Yes, great. That's fantastic, Scott. It is a, um, it's an exciting time for Major League Baseball. And I think that if you are the commissioner, Rob Manfred, after all the heat that this guy, this gentleman has taken over the years, it seems like things are really working out. Attendance numbers are through the roof. Game time is down. Runs are, you know, offense is still churning. We've got more action on the base paths it seems like everything's working out yeah i imagine that anthony that the, the the rules changes we all talked about going into this year imagine that that baseball did something uh that's working out well and not backfiring it seems like this is a sport that steps on its own foot so much but you know everybody i talked to i mean there, there's a random player here and there that gripes still about the rule changes but I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think, you know, there have been some hiccups, but I don't think it could have gone much smoother, you know, to lift off this season. And I know the, the hope was that, you know, games would go, you know, the, the rule changes with the pitch clock uh, would maybe shave 15 or so minutes off games. But the average game time is, is about two and a half, two, two, maybe two hours and 40 minutes. You know, it's cut about 30 minutes off of the game. And I, and I will say, um, you know, when you're at the ballpark now, uh, you got to pay attention because that next pitch comes pretty quick. And, you know, it's about time. It's, it's the game that w- most of us grew up watching and loving, uh, and it just had gotten off the rails. I mean, I never would have been in favor of any kind of a clock in this sport at all. Um, I mean, you're talking a guy that has covered baseball for 30 years, and, be, be, you know, it's, it's the, my chosen path. I love baseball. I've loved the game, devoted most of my life to it. Even that, I say that because the last couple of years, I mean, when it's you're sitting there watching either on TV or a game, you're talking, look at the pitcher. It's just like, throw the ball already. Jeez, there was so much dead time. You know, it really, and it's and it's rare that this, like you said, it's rare that we do something. We're like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, sure, there's some gripes and some pushbacks. And I like the fact that you, you mentioned when you go to a game, you got to pay attention because you might blink and you might you might miss three innings, right? But you look at the action on the field. Scoring is up 9.1 runs per game compared to 8.2. Stolen bases up to about 1.5 per game from uh, 0.9, the highest average since 2000. Like, things are looking good. The game time is down. Those are uh, comparative numbers you know, to last year. So we're, we're in actually what feels like really good shape. The, the season has been exciting. The one question I do have for you in regards to the new rules is the shift. Now that they've you know banned the shift, do you like it? Do you hate it now that we've seen 70-plus games of what this looks like? Oh, I like it. I do. Um, I, I mean, again, the game we grew up loving and watching, you know, there, there so many times over the past five or six years, where a guy would rip a ball and you'd be like, oh, there's a base hit. And then you don't realize there's a guy standing in shallow right field like, like a rover in softball, and it's a line drive right to him and it's out. And, um, you know, I, I, I get it that some people, especially on the analytics side, are like, well, just because we figured out how to defense better, now you're trying to penalize us. It's not that. I think the, the, the there are positions for reasons, second baseman, third baseman. You know, the, the third baseman is not 
designed to play shallow right field. And that's what we are starting to see quite a bit. And I mean, I just look at it like the other sports, I, I you know, the, the NFL, there's certain and college football for that matter. Anthony, there's certain positions. You, you have certain linemen that are not eligible to be receivers. You have, they, they legislate in other words, where certain positions are supposed to play. In the NBA for a while, they outlawed zone defense. Um, this isn't unprecedented that, that a sport like baseball would say, wait a minute, the second baseman has to play on the infield dirt in the area of where the second baseman traditionally plays, and the same at third and shortstop. And, um, you know, I think you have to adjust as you go. And the shift had just gotten so outrageous with guys running all over the field. And also, it added to the time of game because, you know, you had every batter, you have to wait for the – it was almost like you're waiting for the guy upstairs in the baseball operations booth to, to hit his joystick to move the fielders over, over the field into the next shift for the next batter before we could get going again. And it just bogged things down so much. Well, it seems like uh, it seems like everything is is moving pretty well. I do have to ask you now. We have had in the last like week or so, we've had a couple of different plays at the plate in which you know, are, where, yeah. where, what are we missing here with these throws to the dish? Where like, we're, how can we get this wrong? You know, with replay. I, that's I guess what I don't understand. If you go back to the tape and you can look at it, how do we like? What's the, what's the issue here? Well. Now you now you get in back into baseball. What, what you know when I said with the new rules? Hey, at least you know you're used to the sport shooting itself in the foot. And they don't. They didn't with the new rules. They did with this play. That play the play. I understand it goes back to Buster Posey and some other catchers back around 2010, 2012 that got mowed over the plate. And you know I understand players are more expensive now. You know catchers are making millions of dollars and they can be sitting ducks at home plate. Um, if you're, you know, on a play at the plate, and if if you allow a guy to bowl them over, a la Pete Rose and Ray Fossey, um, you know, I, I, catchers used to pride themselves on being able to protect themselves and set up for that play and wear it as a badge of honor. But but I get it. Okay, we're not in prehistoric times anymore. You know, you can't have a guy just be a sitting duck. So I don't mind. I mean, I don't like the rule. I wish. I think that they should have just left well enough alone. But if we're going to have the rule, um, they've got to. They've left too much gray area, and those plays at the plate last week. I mean, Jonah Heim in Texas, he can set up behind the plate. He wasn't blocking the plate, and the next night, uh, you know, the uh, the Fernando Tatis throw home. Uh, Gary Sanchez, who's not the greatest catcher anyway, but the throw carried him into the path of the runner, who, oh, by the way, Blake Sabal, he was going to be out by 15 feet. It wasn't even close. Now, there is a clause in this within this rule that the umpires have the discretion that if the ball beats the runner by so much that it's not even going to be close, they you you can call the guy out. You don't need to worry about was the catcher blocking the path. And and I, I think people are being too literal with this rule. Um, and, and, and I I found it very interesting in both cases that, that you mentioned uh, the Jonah Heim play with Texas, the Gary Sanchez Padres play. 
the first night, Bruce Bochy got ejected. The second night, Padres manager Bob Melvin got ejected. Um, both Bochy and Melvin were catchers at the major league level. They, they've got experience. They live the life of a catcher, and they're getting ejected because they thought both calls were ridiculous, which I also agree with them. Um, you know, I, I think that, if, like I say, if, if the throw beats the runner by so much, just forget if the catcher blocking or not. The runner's out. It, it, the spirit of the rule it isn't that the guy's out by 15 feet, but, oh, the, the, the catcher might have blocked his pass, so we're going to let him be safe. I mean, based on those two plays last week, it, it's like why even allow throws from the outfield home to the plate at that point? I mean, you know, we're getting to the point where we're just going to make every play at the plate a force out. It's ridiculous. And, oh, by the way, last point, part of the new rules in, in, in the elimination of the shift Part of the design for that is the old, the, the current marketing thing, let the kids play. Baseball's trying to, you know, and I agree, athletes on the field right now are as good or better than ever. So we want to see more action, right? That's what the rule plays are designed to. Uh, we want to see guys making great defensive plays. We want to see the ball put in play bar. So we want to see these, kids, the, the, these athletes perform. So that second play at the plate last week, and, you know, that was a – absolutely stellar play from right field by one of the game's great young stars, Fernando Tetis Jr. And with that call to play, you just totally negated that entire athletic play and incredible throw from right field. So that that's the other thing with this is you're, you know, you're, you're, you want these great athletic plays. And yet because of the stupid calls at the plate, you're not getting you know, Scott, I, uh, if we look at the AL East and where they're at, I mean, I can't stop looking at it, right? I look at the standings yeah. every day, and I'm like, this this division is insane. If you're the Boston Red Sox, you're sitting at 40 and 39. You're the worst team in the division. You're 13 games back, and you'd be leading yeah. or at least tied for the lead. You're basically the Minnesota Twins, who the Tigers, you know, they dropped two out of the three against the Twinkies over the weekend. But the AL East, from a historical perspective, you know, top to bottom to have a division be that strong. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. It's unfortunate if that's where you got to play and you're, and you're trying to compete and you're a team like Toronto, who's 43 and 36 sitting in fourth place. You know, you're nipping at the heels of the Yankees. You'd think that that would be a battle for first. No, it's a battle for third. Oh, and by the way, there's the Baltimore Orioles. What a story they are. How do we kind of put into like some sort of historical context what we've seen thus far this year from the AL East? Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, part of the historical context has to do with expansion and the number of teams there are right now in the game, you know, 30 teams. Um, so you had to split into divisions. Uh, the, 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 the best historical context would probably be you go back to the best setup right now would be you go back to pre-1969 uh, before baseball split into divisions, and you just had the grouping of American League teams, grouping of National League teams, and let them fight it out. Um, that would be the most fair way to do it because then all those teams you mentioned with winning records would be, you know, Boston wouldn't be the last place. They'd be in fifth place or whatever it is, out of, but out of 15 teams. And if you had six teams make the playoffs, then Boston maybe be okay. But, you know, we understand why. 
baseball split into divisions because if you set it up the way I just described, well, then, like, the entire American League Central would pretty much be eliminated by the All-Star game. And then in those cities, what would be the attraction to watch for this whole second half of the season? So, you know, baseball, as they expanded, went to geographical divisions, and that theoretically keeps interest across the country because in your own region you can watch your own division race. It's just unfortunate right now that the American League East, as you said, Anthony, is is so strong. And, and at least, I mean, we could see all three wildcard teams come out of that division. Um, probably not. Probably two, and maybe Houston or whoever's going to be second in the West. But, um, you know, we could see all three. But even if that case, two of those teams are, are going to miss the playoffs. And, um, you know, meanwhile, you got, you know, the Twins and you got everybody under 500, the American League Central. But, uh, you know, that's that's just the way it is. But baseball's not also not always been fair all the way across the board. I mean, you go back to, I'd have to look up the year, but when Atlanta was still in the American League, I mean, National League West, and this is going to be in 1980s or maybe early 90s, there was a year when Atlanta and the Dodgers, I think the Dodgers finished first at like 101 games, 101 wins, and Atlanta maybe was second with 99 or 100, I think 100 wins too, and maybe the Dodgers had 102, and like a 100-win Atlanta team didn't even make the playoffs. So, you know, there there are more egregious, unfair examples out there than whatever is going to happen in the American League East this year. Yeah, uh, no, no doubt. And that's the uh, you know that's just that it just is what it is. You're, you're you're fortunate to play in some divisions. We've seen it in football happen. Uh, you know, in the past, where a team under 500 wins their division, the New Orleans Saints did that a few years ago. And then they had to go play their wild card game on the road, and they ended up beating the Seahawks. So you just you just got to get in uh, to win. Last question here for you, Scott. How bad is it right now in Oakland? They're 20 and 60. Attendance is plummeting. The fans actually did like a reverse walkout where they actually yeah. went to the game and just decided that they were going to boo the hell out of everybody and just express their frustration. How bad is the Oakland situation for Major League Baseball? Or is it one of those things like, hey, this is inevitable. They're going to move. They're going to Vegas. It's going to happen. Just get on board with it. And it's unfortunate for people in Oakland because they've lost all their teams now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. The latter. I mean, it's it, I, they will end up in Las Vegas. And it's too bad because you always hear you know people knocking the Oakland fan base. But in the defense of the Oakland fan base, you know, up until the last couple of years, they might not have drawn a ton, but I'll tell you what, 13,000 in the Oakland Coliseum, generally speaking, was a lot louder and more boisterous and more passionate than 13,000 in any other ballpark. These Oakland fans, it's a small group, but they, they bring it. And that 13,000 this year shrunk because – the owner basically has sabotaged the team. He sabotaged the organization trying to get, you know, basically play the card of we're desperate for a new stadium. Nobody will get us a new stadium. So look how bad it is now. We can't afford to do anything. So he's cut everything and sabotaged the team into one of the worst in, you know, by the end of the season, they're probably going to be one of the worst in teams of baseball history. You feel bad for the manager, Mark Kotze, for the entire uh, roster, everybody playing for Oakland. I mean, you know, these are baseball people. Kotze's a great baseball mind. 
these guys are busting their rear ends. They don't deserve what the owner, John Fisher, has hoisted upon them, um, nor do the fans. Um, you know, it's it's looks like the last gasps of a sad, sad situation. They're going to end up in Vegas, and it's probably going to get worse, Anthony, because the I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but the, the Oakland Coliseum, I think the the athletics lease is up. I want to say after next year, maybe twenty twenty four, and the new stadium, Las Vegas, isn't going to be ready until about twenty six or twenty seven. Um, so there's going to be a gap where they're going to have to play in a minor league stadium in Las Vegas. But even worse than that, they've got they're going to have like a, a lame duck year or two in the Oakland Coliseum where they're signed, sealed, and delivered to Vegas, and yet they're still playing a year in Oakland, and there's not it's not even clear. The Oakland Coliseum people at that point, uh, you know, they may figure out a way to kick them out of their lease, and maybe they go play in the minor league park in Las Vegas a year or two earlier than expected even. Boy, would that be something. Holy mackerel, what a uh, what a mess. And it's unfortunate because you think uh, they weren't in the playoffs. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that they were in the playoffs. Yeah. And it was a 2019 or whatever it may have been. And that place was packed. I mean, it was jumping. Some of the photos uh, yeah. where people you know, were responding to some of the social media criticism about the fan base. Be like, hey, look, I mean... Here's the playoffs. This place is packed, and it's unfortunate, but it is a sign of the times as every league is gravita- gravitating towards Sin City. His name is Scott Miller. Find him on Twitter at Scott Miller BBL. Scott, my friend, thank you so much for your time today, partner. We greatly appreciate it, and uh, and have a great week, my friend. You too, Anthony. Take care. Talk soon.